Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we are back on the subject of application security, one of the subjects that I never talk about. <laughs> so today we have Glenn Wilson that has many hats and, and has come with some of them here on the show to talk about a few of the things, everything upset. So Glenn is a very rewarded and published author of one of the books that I really like. And we're going to talk a little bit more on the book and the approach that Glenn has, has taken. He's uh, also a, a practitioner, a professional, and a consultant for DevSecOps. And that's where a lot of this stuff, a lot of the book things and topic came about. And also is running the DevSecOps London Gathering and on the back of it, the DevSecOps Overflow and is a co-host for the DevSecOps Overflow. But before me talking about a lot of this stuff, let's hear from Glenn. Welcome, Glenn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Francesco. I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, thank you for inviting me along. Yeah, so I'm Glenn Wilson, as you said, DevSecOps advocate and uh, author of a book, among other things. Brilliant. And in, in your... So we have a tradition in the podcast where we talk a little bit on what's your view on the industry and specifically on application security, DevSecOps, what is your view? What's working? What's broken in, in your opinion? I think what works is the fact that people are beginning to move at greater velocity in terms of doing the DevOps bit. You know, that uh, we have the CICD pipeline. We are beginning to see more and more companies adopting multiple releases per day. And, and that's a good positive piece that's going on. I guess the biggest negative, though, is that security is not keeping up. Um, security is struggling <laughs> to keep up with the pace of that sort of cadence. Um, we're still saying to uh, people delivering, oh, we want to do a review of this uh, release before it goes live, or we want to do something to stop this light going live until we can fully assess it. But, of course, you can't do that multiple times a day. So security is struggling to keep up, I think, in that sense. And I think they're struggling to understand what their role in DevOps is. So... DevOps isn't just sticking a security person into the team and calling it DevSecOps. That's not what it is. Uh, DevOps is is a way of working, and it's a way that the, the the security team also need to adopt DevOps practices, you know, in order to support the DevOps teams and understand what their role is going to be in the future. So, so yes, because of some good stuff in uh, in what's going on, especially in the digital world. Obviously, the um, the pandemic has caused an acceleration of moving to the digital space, um, right. more and more companies are moving online, not just in terms of what they're offering their customers, but also moving online in terms of supporting their employees as well. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that going on. But as I say, security is, is has been has been a bit slow to the to the party, let's say. No, and I think I think I've, I fairly agree with you in in the transformation that I've seen in the past. Uh, security has been uh, trailing a little bit behind, and it's it's because of overwhelming and and especially in in the UK or in few other transformations that I've seen. Security people are traditionally coming from infrastructure, architecture. You know, they're not they're not used to the DevSecOps or the DevOps cycle, and they're not used to writing code. So mm-hmm. in the US, it's slightly different, but still. It's a scale problem. 
you know, as you rightfully said, you can't, you know, flood people, flood security people in every DevOps teams because we don't have enough professional to do so. Yeah, I mean, the statistic that I used in the book, uh, which we'll come on to later, but the, the, the statistic I used was that it's roughly about one security engineer for every 100 developers, um, which means that the poor security engineer is, is just, you know, it's just so overworked. There's, there's, there's yeah. nowhere for him to go. And I think the problem is that that means that they're leading to, leads them into doing firefighting. It's constantly a battle for them to do security. And they're not able to think about the strategic solution. How do we actually solve this problem? Because they're constantly right at the cold face, fixing problems, helping developers. But really we need to take a step back and say, right, okay, how, how can I make my role more efficient? How can I, What's the role of security in terms of uh, assisting all of the uh, developers and engineers that want to move forward? And you're quite right. You know, um, the the the, the, uh, the the DevOps movement started at the operations end, the infrastructure side, mm-hmm. I guess, and and it's it's now moved into development. So I guess you know, developers have, have adopted DevOps in their own way and and created the CI/CD pipeline. They've automated some stuff. There are attempts, obviously, to automate security. So we see a lot of uh, application security testing tools that are being used, you know, SAS, static analysis, dynamic analysis, DAST, and, and interactive uh, analysis as well being adopted, as well as you know software composition analysis that help us to scan the dependencies and so forth. So we do have those tools starting to emerge, uh, and some of them are quite mature. But the, the, the big stumbling block, really, for me, when I, when I see these tools being introduced into businesses is that they're just thrown at the developers um, and the developers are just standing there wondering what the hell to do with a thousand vulnerabilities that they see, you know, uh, from every scan that happens. And uh, and all that happens really is it increases their burden because people are saying to them, hey, look, you've got a thousand vulnerabilities that didn't have these vulnerabilities. Fix vulnerabilities, fix security. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so automation is good. It's, it's great, but we need to understand how to use automation better. Uh, you know, and support the developers. It's, it's helping the developers, not just throwing it over the wall to developers, but, but actually helping them. I like what you say. I like the human aspect, and, and especially I like that in your book, and we can explore it a little bit more in the book, how, how you took that approach. It is, okay, we have tools, but tools actually just, you know, bash, bashing the developer with tool is not the right approach because it doesn't move the dial in any kind of direction. And just saying, you know, fix security, that is a traditional approach when somebody doesn't understand the complexity of application security. I think it's fundamentally flawed because we take the approach of vulnerability management in application security and we say that patch, but there isn't such a concept of, you know, patch or, you know, maybe the closest concept is upgrading a library, but is a very, you know, there is regression testing, there is testing, there is assessment you can't just simply switch a button and say automatically fixed. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and and often what I see as well is that security then is not prioritized. You know, product features, new functionality always gets prioritized above security, so especially when you mm-hmm. see so many vulnerabilities being exposed, you know, through, through these application security testing tools. And, and so because they, they have a lower priority, what we tend to do is we focus on those critical ones, the ones that are considered to be critical by the application security testing tools. But it's yeah. critical, critical. But, but it's critical, critical, exactly. Because you know, <laughs> How critical is critical? <laughs> exactly. Because you know, if you've got an application that has very limited exposures to the internet, has no data that's of significant importance to your company, and 
really is a is is a is a, is a closed box, then mm-hmm. if you've got a critical vulnerability on it, is it critical? But on the other hand, you could have a low vulnerability on a very critical part of your infrastructure, and that's not treated with the same sort of um, urgency as <laughs> as a critical vulnerability on a on a low impact uh, part of your system. So, yeah, you you the criticality side of it, 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 you need to assess it, which adds to the complexity of what the developers are being asked to do, you know. So not only have, are they being asked to fix a problem, but they're also asked to identify... Not the organisation. Yeah, exactly. And, and how they do that. And, they, and then they go and ask the poor security guy who's got another 100 people to speak to, and and uh, he comes back to me and says, oh, I don't know, just fix the critical ones. <laughs> That's it. We go around in a circle. Or actually even worse... S- the magic SLA of fixed critical vulnerability in five days. Five days, yeah. But, but our release cadence is every three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think there is, I agree with you, I think there is a lot of misconception yeah. around application security and there is a lot of fear because it's, it's, it's a complex, it's a very complex thing. So security people are traditionally not bred and born developers uh, in, in some of other areas and they're, they're overwhelmed. An executive don't have a way to reason or, or think about application security or make a decision on application security, don't have enough data in their own language. I think that, that's the thing that we try to solve with AppSec Phoenix and the stuff that we saw in previous transformation. But, you know, I think we need to change the language and we need to be a bit more understanding that the business is to come to security, but also security needs to come a little bit more towards the business and finding that kind of middle ground to actually solve systemically as an organization, as you rightfully say, application security for the organization with a context view, with a prioritization, but prioritization not on the critical vulnerability, but on what actually is going to hurt me tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that's what broken also from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, security needs to understand what its um, function is now in the the new world. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know if you've ever read or the listeners have ever read um, Team Topologies by uh, Matt Skelton and Manuel Pays, a brilliant book where they talk about the communication channels between the various teams and the types of teams you have. Now, having read that book, I, I see security as an enabler, as a team mm-hmm. that's there to enable developers and engineers to, to develop secure software and produce secure products. Um, but the communication also needs to be looked at. Then, you know, the, the communication channel needs to be less of a naysayer, less of that um, activity that says, no, you can't do this, and blocking and that, that sort of activity, and more of a, a role in terms of enabling the developers, the engineers to do their own security and do it with a level of confidence that, that satisfies the security teams as, as well as the engineers as well, that they're actually developing secure software. And that's, that's the, I think, where the battle lines are drawn right now is, is actually how do we do that communication channel. Now, Team Topologies, actually, I, I know we're going to talk about my book, but I also rate um, the Team Topologies <laughs> book highly. Um, oh, it's good. It's good. We give but, suggestion about any kind of book that could be useful for people yeah, to grow. But uh, the Team Topologies book, you know, they do offer the, the three, three types of communication. One is uh, collaboration, um, which is where the way I see it is that security will go in to tackle a particular issue or a particular problem that the engineering team has in terms of, you know, doing something securely, not 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 incidents. I'm not talking about you know fixing mm-hmm. incidents, but but you know, what's the challenge that this engineering team has right now that we can help them with? The second one is facilitation. Now, I see that as an education piece. 
It's about going in and supporting the developers as they implement something like a SaaS tool or something like that to, pr- to help them to deliver that um, solution that in a way that satisfies themselves as well as security. And then the third one I see is, the, well, the third one that Team Topologies mentions is the as a service. So security mm-hmm. as a service in this case. Uh, and that, I guess, is about you know making it more efficient and more easy for developers to pull down the tools that they need uh, and, and you know they, they run their tools with the configuration already configured for them by security so that they know that when they get a scan result that scan result is actually very reflective of where the real vulnerabilities are right you know and, and so i think that's possibly the way forward in terms of how we do this but but, it's but how a, do we make it happen in an organization because as you rightfully yeah. say you know, security team are overwhelmed, and ninety percent of the time they spend their time firefighting. You know, in, in previous transformation, as you say, you know, hundred developers to one security person. I think Alyssa Miller from mentioned in the latest talk probably around seven fifty developer to one security professional is the latest kind of figure from right. Furman Institute. So, how do we get around the curve? Because practically, from what we saw. You know, a security person can cover maximum 10 application being on sprint planning, being actually useful. If you increase that number, you get overwhelmed by actually just saying, yeah, fix this, fix this. Not not even having the time to think about what to fix. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. So, I mean, the way I look at it is like this. Um, Security needs to be less reactive. It needs to be a lot more proactive in in what it's doing. We talked about, like, there's only one engineer per... And if Alyssa Miller says that there's 750 engineers per one security, I'm not going to argue with that because I've heard numbers that range from that to one in 50 you know or one in 25 it is obvious that it is a large gap a large discrepancy mm. but you know this continuous firefighting is 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 never going to resolve the, the, is never going to help you resolve the problem you know you've got to take a step back you've got to look at it strategically now one of the one of the things that i talk about in the book is creating security champions now to me security champions are those people that have a passion for security but work within the engineering team we're not asking them to become security experts. All we're trying to say to them is, look, you've got a passion for security. Learn what's going to be effective in your team and, and start to perhaps evangelize and educate and increase that knowledge amongst your team and, and enable your team to, to do stuff securely. But you can also act as the interface back into the security teams itself as, you know, by, by you know, communicating the types of vulnerabilities you're seeing, you know, where the weaknesses are, learning new ways of doing stuff that, that that can support the engineering teams with fixing security. So those security champions can play a really important role, um, not just in terms of the supporting the engineers, but also supporting security as well. The other thing that I'm quite conscious of is the fact that if engineers are, well, if security engineers are firefighting and they can't think about the strategic solution, then maybe we should think about what the issue is here. Because if that fire, if we're firefighting because we've just run a SaaS tool, we've now found a thousand vulnerabilities, 
those vulnerabilities were there yesterday before we ran the SAS tool. Do we? I really, know they're aware. But you, now that we're aware, do we really need to fix them right now? You know what? We need to assess the risk, understand mm. what the risk is, and and then we can start saying, okay, of these thousand vulnerabilities, what's the most critical vulnerability type? You know, what, what what's what's the one that keeps coming up over and over again? What what do we need to do to educate the developers to fix this? So, I mean, you take the old top ten from twenty seventeen. I know we've got twenty twenty one that's come out now, but take the the, the old top twenty seventeen. The top one is SQL injection, but we're already just injection. And if you look at injection. You, you might find that you've got this loads of different types of injection. You've got SQL injection, you've got command line injection, and they could all be everywhere across your code. It doesn't necessarily have to be in, you know, software code. It could also be infrastructure as code where you find these vulnerabilities. What we say to the security guys then is like educate the developers. Go in and show them what this particular type of vulnerability is, why it's important right. to fix it, and how you fix it. Uh, not necessarily in the language of the developers, but certainly in the, you know why you need to fix it and how you would fix it by validation, whatever. Um, more systemic approach. Yeah, more systemic approach, um, and that means you're not actually firefighting each individual vulnerability. You're basically you're saying, going by type. Yeah, exactly, by type. And then the engineers can go away, and they've got as much time as they need to fix that particular vulnerability based on the business risk and the business importance of that particular application, you know, they have to make a decision. Sorry, they have to make a decision about whether their product is critical enough to fix now or not. They don't need security to say to them, look, find this criticality in this application, fix it now. And, you know, the engineers are fighting back saying, but that's not, that's not, a, you know, an important application. No, fix it now, fix it now, fix it now. And, and want- I, think, I think you mentioned a very critical point that I want to highlight yeah, sure. uh, before we dive in, that is risk and security, no developer being in charge of risk, but actually the business owning the risk responsibility and making that decisions. And I think that's that's what have worked in the past in DevSecOps programs or application security program. We can put any kind of label or hat, but really having that risk-based, business-based conversation with the business saying it's not actually critical vulnerability, but actually contextualizing the business and how much it could impact the business, that's your responsibility as a business owner and deciding, do I build some new stuff or do I fix some new stuff? Do I fix a tech debt or the security tech debt or do I build new things? And I think that's kind of the conversation that in my opinion, I might be wrong, it's missing right now in a lot of DevSecOps. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, end of life thing of products. You know, mm. if you've got a, an application that has low, you know, it's, it's very vulnerable, high criticality in terms of lots of vulnerabilities. Do we kill it? Do we kill it off? You know, is it actually, you know, is the cost of fixing it going to outweigh the benefits of keeping it alive? Mm. You know, and and if you do keep it alive, are the risks of being attacked through it higher and therefore causing you greater grief? You know, so we need to be a bit more... Um, risk aware of what what it means you know to, to have certain vulnerabilities you know in the um i know jim kim talks about uh in 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 the devops handbook and also in uh, the, the finish yeah. project about the the whole idea of you know reducing technical debt it, it, you know redu- reducing technical debt doesn't necessarily mean fixing all the vulnerabilities it means understanding it's actually it's, removing removing yeah. stuff removing, removing things stuff. that is not necessary yeah fixing stuff or, or even just accepting the risk, you know, that because you, you can't, you can't, you can't clear every technical debt. It's not possible. Yeah. You know? So you might need to accept the risk on certain areas and say, okay, this is a this is an application that has technical debt, but we're happy to keep that alive as it is because 
you know, that's the but in a conscious way, I think right now there is a lot of unconscious accepting or kind of not knowing. And when yeah. knowing it's like panic mode, how do we fix this? <laughs> but it's, it's turning that conversation. Okay. This vulnerability, as you rightfully say before, where they yesterday, we're just aware today. So let's, let's create a plan to actually go and tackle. Yeah. And in the plan is a risk-based plan. They take into consideration where things are, even if things are useful. So it can be a business advantage of decommissioning a bunch of stuff. Nobody knows why they're there for. Let's remove it and let's see if something breaks. But then if it doesn't, maybe they're not that useful anyway. Yeah, sure. I agree. But what's maybe circling back on the book, what stimulates you writing a book? What what made you embark in that fantastic journey that is <laughs> getting in front of a screen and crying <laughs> to get words in a paper? Or, or was uh, actually how how was the journey? Well, the journey started actually right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I just finished um, working with a particular client and uh, looking for the next uh, uh, piece of work. And of course, the pandemic struck, lockdown started and mm-hmm. left me in a bit of a limbo. Um, so um, I, I thought I'll uh, do what I like doing when I, I'm in a bit of a limbo. And that's to, to you know carry on learning, educating myself, uh, reading, doing research and so forth. And, and as I was doing that, I realized actually, there isn't a book out there that describes what DevSecOps is. And I, I thought that that's a big gap in the market that needs to be filled. I think, you know, there are a lot of people out there don't really know what it means. There's some great books out there on, say, there's a book called Securing DevOps, I think it's called, or there's a lot of technical books that describe DevOps in, in particular ways. There's, there's books about uh, containerization, there's books about cloud security. But I've yet to see a book that says, this is what DevSecOps actually means. Um, so I started to write, I actually started off, I started writing a, a blog post to try and describe it. And then as I started writing a blog post, it got longer and longer and longer. Um, <laughs> and I thought, this, there's a lot here to say here. So I stopped. A friend of mine was writing a book of his own, and he suggested that I um, uh, go to one of these, um, it's like a, an online session where you learn how to write a book. <laughs> and uh, I went along to really? one of these sessions. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, um, and, and it teaches you the, the core, the, the, what, what worked for me is it taught me how to actually understand what the message is I'm trying to say and then structure that in a particular way. Once I got that framework down, I just then started to, you know, carry on writing and putting, you know, my ideas down on paper in a more structured way. Um, and it took me on a journey where I was able to interview people, speak to lots of different individuals, carry on with my research, and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then eventually the book was complete. Um, uh, Michael Mann, who is a good friend of mine, he wrote the forward for it, um, and I, I, I'm really pleased about that. And in the end, I just had this, um, you know, the end product, the book that was published last year. Um, the book itself is there to try and educate people on, on what I think DevSecOps is. Um, it's not a technical book. It doesn't explain to you the technical details. It's more for the people, the en- the leaders. I call them the, you know, the leader's guide. Okay. I'm not necessarily saying it's the manager's guide or a leader of an organization. I mean, anyone who's willing to lead the DevSecOps movement in their organization. It's understanding... You know, there's three layers basically to, to, to understand what DevSecOps is. The first layer is knowledge. You need that foundation of knowledge and understanding, you know, what DevOps is, what security is, um, 
and all the different elements that make up those particular pieces. You know, if you've got the education in place within your organization, you have a learning organization, then you have the ability to to evolve the, the, the concepts that you need. The second layer for me was actually secure by design. You have mm-hmm. to not just doing security within your application, but actually having good foundation of this is where it gets most technical, but good technical skills within your own ability to write good code, produce good infrastructure and so forth. And actually being proud of the work you're delivering. You're not just, you know, sticking like copying and pasting code from the internet and just saying that's job done nobody actually, nobody does that nobody looks at stack overflow there <laughs> <laughs> nobody panic when stack overflow went down <laughs> no no uh, exactly so uh, so you know secure by design was another important layer for me is you know it's you know if, you, if you've got a, if you've got you know you are a developer or you, you're an engineer you need to be good at what you do. And, and I felt that was important as well. And then the third layer is the attestation, this security automation, as I call it in the book, which is where you then validate that you've got the knowledge, you've got the, the good secure code, and you validate it um, by running your security automation. And in addition to security automation, you do have these other elements of manual testing, you know, penetration testing, bug bounty programs and so forth, mm-hmm. which all still play a part in DevOps, but you need to think of them differently. You know, we've always traditionally done a pen test just before a release or within that. It's too late. Yeah, it happens very late. Uh, and the report produced is usually um, thrown at the developers, you know, stop everything, fix this, we've got to go live next week. That's what normally happens. So pen testing needs to change. It's more of a, it's something that's done on a, on a cadence, so say every six months, every year, to to validate that the company or the organization has produced secure software over time. It's not there to be... Like reactive. an audit. Yeah, like it should audit. be an audit rather like than a tool. It's like that trust and verify, isn't it? It's the trust and verify yeah. model. <laughs> you know, we trust the developers to develop secure software by, you know, they gain the knowledge, they do secure by design, they use test automation. But let's see if they really are secure. Um uh, and uh, but that them. verify actually happened way too late if it's just pen testing if it's just six months over a year yeah. pen yeah. test yeah exactly so 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 all the other stuff has to be in place you can't just do a pen test every six months and that's it you know without the other stuff in place we're secure in place. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and of course the other thing about pen testing as well if you use it as your as your security vulnerability management system um, is that it gets produced in a PDF document that's usually highly restricted. It goes to a certain individual using security who then tells the engineers, you've got to fix this problem. And and the, the engineers don't really know where the problem is. They don't know how to fix it because there's no one there telling them how to fix it. Um, and, and how many times have you heard a pen tester say, they run pen tests on the same application over and over and over again and keep coming up with the same results. You know, it's, it's it goes to show that that model doesn't work. You know, that's what no, that's I agree. I think I think pen testing is important and paired up with red teaming. I think it's yeah, really absolutely. important in an organization to continuously validate and have that refined way. I mean, security tool can do can do eighty percent at scale what you can do, and then you need, as as we rightfully say, you need to assess vulnerability, and then. You know, you have that more refined, chiseled work that comes with the red team exercise or a pen test that really should find, pen test should never find things that a, a study code analysis or a dynamic code analysis could find. It's it's a waste of money, I think, in, in the pen test community. Yeah, 
or in an organization, but traditionally organization, and, and this is a little bit of, of, of my run to the regulation. Regulation demands that you run pen testing and then, of course, management understand regulation because that is what they are taking accounted for. So I think regulation should demand more security testing and pen tests on a, on a quarterly basis uh, rather than but then I've seen also the over, other side of things where specific regulators demanded a specific technology <laughs> into testing and then organization went completely nuts and just deployed it in, in, a, in a brainless way. Yeah. I think there is, yeah, as a security professional, there is also our help of regulator to write good regulation. Yeah. The auditors and the regulators need to come on board as well. You know, it, 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 I, I often say, you know, the, the companies like Equifax and um, SolarWinds, they're all in a regulated industry. So they must have been compliant. Yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, exactly. But it must have been compliant, you know. British Airways, anyone? <laughs> British Airways, yeah, again, they must have been compliant. But but are they secure? That's the difference. You know, does, being compliant with the regulators it doesn't necessarily mean to say that you're secure. Yeah. But it that there was one quote that running an, a DevSecOps program one developer mentioned is like, please, please, please don't remove regulation because it's the only thing when I can talk my application owner or my business owner and say, we need to fix this stuff. So most of the time developers want to fix things, but they're never given the time from the upper management because upper management doesn't understand. It's not in their radar. It's not in their bonus. It's not linked to what they in, in their objective. And of course they're going to ignore it because they are bombarded with other million things of generating revenue because that's their job so it's, it's making security part of their job or part of their worry uh not just as a scaremonger of you know security problem million vulnerabilities <laughs> that is the traditional way but it's more like this is the kpi this is the risk target that you have to hit this is the sla target that you have to hit and then giving them the ability and the tool to prioritize internally in the team and i think that's that's a solution the cog that we're really missing between the developer, the security, and the upper management. I think there is an enormous gap that with AppSec Phoenix we were trying to fix. It kind of worked in the past, but, you know, I think that's that's a bit that I think, you know, the Phoenix project, and that's a little bit the name of, of, of our AppSec Phoenix, where they came from, That's that tried to address in a very specific way because it was the management team that came together and realized damn it, we need to actually take a decision on this and make this work as a management team. And then the rest of the, the organization kind of came along on this uh, kind of rascal that came together and, and decided and it's a book that I absolutely love and I've given to a lot of my friends to actually read. But Glenn, we are just about time. I want to I wanna leave uh, our traditional conversation on positive message because we talk absolutely, a lot about yeah, yeah, yeah. negative message, but I think we are getting better. Application security wasn't a thing some time ago. So I think from my perspective, we're getting better off at least surfacing these things. But from your perspective, if you can leave us with a positive message, what would that be? I, I actually agree with you. I think we are getting better. I think we, we, we understand the importance of security. The number of breaches that we have seen has been increasing over time. And I think that's created a greater awareness of what security means. And I think we are getting there. You know, DevSecOps has started to become more mainstream in terms of what it means to people. Um, and, and I think we, we're moving in the right direction, definitely are moving in the right direction. And it's just a matter of time before 
I think it all comes together. And we all start to uh, we all start to see a massive benefit to, to doing DevSecOps. Um, but yeah, that, that, I, I'd say that's 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 where we're heading. Is, is it, we're heading to a good place. <laughs> Maybe there will be a time when OWASP top 10 is not going to be necesario anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the OWASP top 10 is so fringe that we just think, well, what was that ever that about? <laughs> <laughs> Never going to happen, I think, but it, it will be. But Glenn, thank you very much. If anybody wants to follow you or, or read your book, where they can find you and where they can find the book? Yeah, so the, probably the best way to get hold of me is either on LinkedIn on there or on Twitter. It's at Glenn with two ends, Dynaminet. And the book is available on Amazon, um, either in paperback or in Kindle form. So, yeah, it's called DevSecOps, A Leader's Guide, blah, blah, blah. It's too long to... <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, inc- we'll include the, the link to the books in the show notes and in your LinkedIn. So please follow Glenn because he has a lot of great opinion. And also come to the uh, to the meetup because uh, we are often there discussing, debating, joking about, and crying about uh, AppSec and DevSecOps. <laughs> yeah, the, the the London gathering it's, uh, it's it's a great community. Uh, we talk about DevSecOps all the time, and it's and that's another good thing is it's increasing in terms of the number of people that are attending, um, and that's that's a, that's another good sign that we're heading in the right direction. No, I agree. And and the good sign is that the other day there was few developers that they came into into the room. So I, I really enjoyed the fact that they were actually developed by joining the DevSecOps community. That was originally just about that. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Not security good. people talking about security. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show. Everybody stay safe and do safe AppSec. <laughs> and thank you very much for joining the show today. This is Francesco, your host. Stay safe. And Glenn, thank you very much for coming. You're welcome. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 